Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Catherine Blades is the SVP, Chief ESG and Communications Officer of Aflac, a company she's been with for over six years. Catherine is a PR News Hall of Famer, Forbes' inaugural inductee into the Women in Communications Hall of Fame, a two-time Con Lion winner, a 2017 inductee into the PR Week Hall of Femme, as well as the first American to win the Relations for the Future medal at Davos. Catherine has also been named to the Latino Leaders Latina 100, is named as a children's miracle worker change maker, the inaugural PR Week Most Purposeful CCO, a top 25 power woman by New York Moves Magazine, four-time top woman in PR winner, was named to the Forbes Communications Council as a contributing writer and serves as a member of the Fortune Most Powerful Women community. We get into a lot about Catherine's perspective on purpose-driven companies, what an ESG communications strategy entails, and an incredible recent incarnation of the Aflac duck that brought hope and care to victims of childhood cancer through innovation. Here is Libby Taylor CEO Paul Dyer in conversation with Aflac's CCO, Catherine Blades. Welcome to Catherine Blades from Aflac. We're going to be having a conversation here today about the state of communications and your insights and advice for people around the PR and communications industry. But let's start with, you know, here we are. It's now almost September. The state of communications has obviously been upended by certainly by the pandemic, the quarantine, COVID, plus social justice and all these other things happening but you know covid-19 is clearly sort of the thing that i think has been the most pervasive topic throughout the last a better part of the year so when you think about how that has impacted your communication strategy what is it that you think has been sort of the biggest impact or how you've had to pivot your plans it's a fascinating time and such a fascinating question we could go in a number of different directions but i think in all crises communications really takes the center stage. I think what makes this particular situation unique is the protracted time frame of the pandemic. I don't think anyone anticipated that it would last this long. I think comms has played a central role. And through that, We've also carved out a very unique perspective for our employee communications team, because when you move to a remote workforce, you have to make sure that your employees have the information that they need. And in terms of how we've changed our strategy, it's um, always been very agile. But I would suggest to you the biggest pivots have come in terms of channels that we use and the frequency with which we use them. And in terms of employee and sort of internal communications versus your external stakeholders, has there been a change in prioritization or it's more just about the frequency in the channels? Well, I think we're doing a lot more around having people hear it from the top. It's really senior leader to employee group. And then, of course, you know, crises force us to do what we do best. And again, when you look at 2020, you mentioned it, right? No one anticipated the pandemic. There are a couple of other important things going on too, like an election that was anticipated. 
but the way that racial injustice has come to the forefront of the country's consciousness in a way that it hasn't in a long time and should have a long time ago, candidly, has also changed the tone and tenor with which we are communicating because we have to be sensitive to all of this. I think we're going back to the fundamentals, at least my team is. And I'll tell you what I, I mean by that. We're, we're doing stakeholder maps that are 30 pages long, determining where, when, and how our stakeholders want to be met. We're looking at very much non-traditional stakeholders. And I'll give you an example of how non-traditional that can be. We are in a small town in rural Georgia, in a river valley. So when we sent 98% of our workforce home over a two-week period, at the same time that Fort Benning was doing the same, the other two large employers in the community were doing the same. And oh, by the way, schools were sending children home to do remote learning at the same time in the March timeframe. It became apparent very quickly going into this that we had to communicate with our internet service providers because they wouldn't have the infrastructure to accommodate that level of volume so very quickly. So again, it is going back to the basics. And we kept a grid. This is just um, an interesting aside of just the tactics just for COVID that the comms team has initiated. And the grid of tactics is over 80 pages long since early March when we oh started to tell people to wash their hands, right? I, yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely Sweet. crazy. Your communications plan coming into the year did not have an emphasis on telling people to wash their hands? It, indeed not. Um, some things we just take for granted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's funny. I've often heard the saying, never waste a crisis with regards to people who advocate for things like business or digital transformation. You've mentioned crisis a couple of times in this prolonged crisis that we're enduring you also posted an article on LinkedIn recently, it had a wonderful title that was Crisis Reveals Character. So obviously this has been a tremendous experience, moment, opportunity for Aflac to reveal your true character, you know, brand, culture, et cetera. I'm wondering if you could share maybe just some from the article or just some of your additional thoughts on how Aflac has really been a leader in that regard. Aflac did the most wonderful, wonderful thing. They looked at the crisis, the leadership team did, in a holistic way. This pandemic affects people's physical health, their emotional health, and their financial health. So we looked at all of our audiences. So we have 30,000 licensed sales agents that are of 1099 tax status in the U.S. They are licensed to sell our product, and in a third of the cases, our competitors' products. They are also commission-only 1099s, which means if they're not selling, they're not earning. So not only did we want to come, have them come through this hole, because we will get through this, and we will be better for it, we wanted to give them the financial tools they needed to be able to do that as well as the technology to be able to continue to sell virtually and remotely. So instead of just sending them the information that was coming out from the U.S. government, of here are the loans and grants you can apply for, we actually set up our own no-interest loan program for our 1099 independent sales agents. 
again, to help keep them whole through this process. And then to have them continue to sell, we actually created virtual tools that, that had not been available to them before. And we did this very quickly. Um, our employees, same thing, 95, I mean, 98% went to remote work in a two and a half week period. That was a great investment in technology. And I keep talking about the dollars for a very important reason. One of the reasons Aflac was able to respond so well to all of our stakeholders was because of the capital deployment strategy that we have. We had gone into the bond market in Q4 and raised a billion and a half dollars in capital. It takes capital to be able to do these things. Not that we saw a pandemic coming, but we've got a lot of smart finance guys who know that what goes up for a really, really, really long time has the possibility of coming down again. And so we were better prepared than most. And then on the philanthropic side, oh my goodness, you know, we have donated over $11 million to various causes, mostly around um, frontline workers and getting them the personal protection equipment they need. And then um, we shifted when the social injustice issues came to the forefront, our donation strategy for 2020. And that's part of that agility that we were talking about. And I'm so proud because almost, actually just a little over 50% at this point of our philanthropic donations for 2020 have gone to minority related causes. So it's about doing the right thing consistently throughout every instance of this and every crisis that comes up through this. And I just couldn't be more proud of the company and the way it's taken care of everyone and done the right things. Even my personal favorite program, which you guys are very familiar with, is My Special Athletic Duck. Um, hospitals are busy right now. Uh, frontline care workers are busy. They don't necessarily have time for the little extras, but my team has rallied and we've come up with some non-traditional distribution methods for our robotic companion for children going through cancer uh, treatment. So again, non-traditional distribution, but still getting the right things to the right people. And just for anybody on who's listening who doesn't know, can you give us the quick overview of your robotic duck, please? My special Aflac duck is a robotic companion for children going through cancer treatment. What many people don't know is we've had a 25-year partnership with the Aflac Cancer Center in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a top 10 cancer center in the country for children battling the disease. I could speak all day about the 140 million plus in donations that we've committed over time. I can tell you it's the largest treater of sickle cell in the United States children with sickle cell disease, but these kids go through a very difficult time when they're going through treatment. So we created a way for them to do a couple of things through this robotic companion. Actually, there are three things that I'll highlight. One is children take back their power through medical play. And this allows, this duck allows children to treat their duck, their animal, the way that the doctors and nurses and caregivers are treating them. So it has all sorts of accoutrements that come with it, but it also has a port. And when the port is attached, it's just like the child's port, same syringe size, everything. Um, And the duck will develop a heartbeat. So while 
the, the child is treating the duck. It's a comforting, calming companion. It can do deep breathing exercises with the child. Second thing it does that I feel is really important is imagine being three years old, not terribly verbal. And I don't know if any of you have been in a hospital, but it's a dreadful place to be. The people are very nice, but they come in every 15 minutes. How are you feeling? And if you're not that verbal, you may not understand why you're angry today, or you may not understand what feeling nauseous means or how to articulate that. So we've come up with these RFID chip emojis. So if you're the caregiver, Paul, you come in and you say, hey, how's your duck feeling today? And there's a silly emoji or there's a sad emoji or there's a stressed emoji because everyone speaks emoji and it takes the pressure off the child and it allows them to communicate better, which we hope will drive better outcomes. And then finally, kids like to play. So there is an app for that, but it works well without the app where the duck can dance in silly mode. The duck can blast off in outer space with children, take them to a Chinese garden, a farm, all through this app with the different sounds. And the duck acts out and makes noises and does all sorts of fun things. And we have committed $3 million a year to the program in perpetuity. And until we find a cure for this terrible, terrible disease and children don't have to go through this anymore. But it's, it's an opportunity for us to step in and help where governments often struggle. In the United States alone, approximately 16,000 children are diagnosed with cancer every year. So that's 16,000 sets of parents who hear the words, your child has cancer every year. And in spite of that, of all the funding the U.S. government pours into cancer treatment and research, less than 4% goes to childhood cancers. So again, it's a great way for a corporation to step in and help and then to do it um, in a unique way through this culmination of this wonderful social robot. It's an amazing program. And thank you for sharing all of that about it. There's a couple of things that you've touched on that I, I want to pick up on as, as we're going forward here, one of which is the need for capital to do good. So that's one kind of concept I think we should come back to. You know, the next is sort of agility and fluidity and comms. But then you just said something that just really just jumps off the page, which is everyone speaks emoji, you know, from a group of people that for the many of us, you know, grew up with physical printed AP style guides, you know, and had arguments over whether keyword was one or two words, you know, and now everyone speaks emojis. So how do you think about sort of finding that line between cultural relevance and connecting with people in a very real way while still maintaining that sense of, you know, maybe not formality, but, you know, um, just professionalism. Well, that's such a great question. Um, I actually am one of those geeks who has a position on the Oxford comma I'm against because of my AP style um, upbringing. Uh, yeah, I think you do have to be culturally relevant and that's where the data becomes so important. I always always say that data should drive the strategy. And what I find interesting is, is I had a peer in IT say, well, it's just zeros and ones. I said, you see zeros and ones. I see human beings with preferences that I'm trying to group like things together so I can develop arguments or inspiring language that will inspire them to take some sort of an action. I don't see zeros and ones, but I need the data to be able to help me do those things and create those things in such a compelling way that it does inspire action. 
whether in corporate America, it's action, do you buy the stock? Do you trust the company enough? Do you trust the brand and reputation? If you're a consumer, same thing. Do you trust the reputation of the company enough to invest your dollars, particularly in financial services? Because we sell a promise. We do, you don't sign on the dotted line and drive off the lot, if you will. Uh, so it's, it's very different. Our customers are very different. And they're a wide, wide range of society. Um, uh, reputation and, then over, and trust are very important in that kind of a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, as you noted previously, I, I have been more in the world of ESG over the past year plus. And it's Can really... Can you just clarify for people who are listening and may not know that acronym? Oh, yes, absolutely. Environmental, social, and governance. Hmm. Um, the, the governance piece believe it or not, is the easiest piece because especially if you're in a highly regulated industry like financial services, you very much are dictated to, whether that's through statute or practice or a regulatory body. In this case, we're regulated by state. Plus, we are also, um, think of it as CSR and steroids, environmental commitment, um, social commitment, there are a number of ways you can measure and report these things out. We've chosen to do it through four main buckets. Um, in the, on the environmental side, we use TCFD as our main report, and then the SASB standards. And then um, on the social side, we actually very much and have for a long time used the UN SDGs and the GRI. To benchmark against, and please don't ask me what all those acronyms uh, mean because I'm not sure which time we have, but <laughs> but they are all Googleable. Um, but it's the materiality piece, and I think uh, you know we had this discussion for a long time, Paul. And the discussion was: Is this a luxury byproduct rather of a protracted bull market? And what? the current state of America and all the issues we're dealing with as a country tell us right now is that it isn't, it's here to stay. And I think as you see the spotlight on more social issues, you're going to see a demand. The market will demand, whether that's the analyst and investor community or the consumer, that they do business with a company that they want to do business with because they are comfortable with their reputation and they're doing all the right things. And ESG is a way to formalize that and also uh, give it give it some teeth because there's materiality behind these efforts. That's great. And it takes that to your point, that social responsibility thing, which is oftentimes not as material in nature and gives it that extra weight behind it. You said a couple of times that data should drive the strategy. And obviously, this is one of the things that has been an Achilles heel of the communications industry when compared with the marketing and advertising industry or digital industries, you know, for since the beginning of time, let's say. So I'm curious your thoughts on does data belong as a part of the communications function, or is it that you're working, you know, in close partnership with the market research teams or the analytics teams elsewhere within the company, how do you make sure everybody's kind of singing from the same song sheet when there's so much data out there? Well, that is an excellent point. And I think the, the answer to the first part of your question really depends on the culture 
and the assets you have and how you're structured in the organization. You work with what you have and you make it work. I think that the other tricky thing is you've really got to nail down, okay, what do I want my outcomes to be? What do I want my results to be? Call your shot, if you will, and then back out your strategy based on that's where I want to get to. Let me use the data to determine two things. Where am I now? And then how do I bridge from where I am now to what my outcomes to be? And then, of course, a lot of times we spend time just measuring on the back end, which that information is very important, too, especially if you're taking pulse checks and you're um, flexing in real time on something. Uh, But it can't just be about measuring tactics or measuring just the end result. You really need a robust, holistic approach. And the thing about the onset of ComTech is it makes it so much easier. It's not like it was years ago. Um, You can do virtual online focus groups. You know, you can do all sorts of things that, gosh, we never would have even thought about when we were trying to memorize our AP style books all those years ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I put too fine a point on it. Yeah. So, all right, so let's come back to this idea of Boeing Capital. So when you and I last spoke at that uh, Provoke Media Roundtable, um, one of the topics of discussion was the BDR, a business roundtable statement about balancing the needs of various stakeholders beyond just creating shareholder value. AFLAC was a signatory. Um, And one of your comments in that conversation was that um, some of your investors had pushed back on Affleck being a signatory. Um, so I'm curious, a lot has happened since last December, you know, in terms of everybody's sort of general awareness of society and inequality and all of these other things and the role that companies play. Do you feel like there's still a reticence to accept corporations' larger obligations to society? I think it's about purpose and profit. And the companies that do this well demonstrate that they do both and and they do it in a very equitable manner. I I will say if you're right, at first we did have a couple of of folks making some noise. I will also share with you that our three largest investors or three of our largest investors are BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard. Uh, who have been on the forefront of this in varying degrees since before the uh, business roundtable message. Uh, So, yeah, I think people, and and that's part of the comment I made earlier, I think people believe now that this is here to stay, that if you have purpose, your profits will actually be better because, again, people will want to do business with you. They will want to be a shareholder in your company and, and it's all part of that reputation management piece. You know, I, I'm shifting a little bit here, but John Awada, who is just brilliant, says the most wonderful thing. And it is that if you look at the role and function of communications, we're the only organization outside of someone in the company with a CEO or a president title that has the license to look at all stakeholders equally. Interesting. It's a really empowering thought. 
Well, right, because you've got an IR function that is thinking about one audience. You've got a marketing function that's thinking about one audience, the consumer. You've got HR thinking about one audience, the employees. We are the only other part of the organization that takes that holistic overarching approach. And and with that, it means one, data is much more important. And, And two, you know, I love it because we get to think differently. We get to pro and con every single audience, the whole 360. And I love that. And I think that's one of the things my team has done extraordinary well, particularly during the pandemic, is really look at every stakeholder audience and determine, you know, not only the upsides, but where the potential downsides might be as well. Well, that's, I think, a great, it's a very inspiring way of looking at the role that we play in larger corporations um, and in this sort of business environment. Um, So I know that we are at our time now. And I want to thank you for sharing your insights and your advice. We really appreciate all of uh, everything that you've been able to share with us here today and are looking forward to hearing um, you know, from all of our listeners and readers in terms of what they think. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun. And I, I apologize for the distractions. Um, hopefully you didn't hear my dog snoring at my feet the whole entire time. I didn't. That's amazing, actually. <laughs> this is part of this, you know, pandemic is that we all just get allowed into each other's lives a little bit further than we were accustomed to. <laughs> well, thank you, Catherine. It's great seeing you. Great speaking to you. I'm glad you're doing well. And hopefully I will see you someday in person again. And then virtual hugs. <laughs> yeah, vir- virtual hug. <laughs> thank you all, all right. again. All right. Thank you. All right, so here as always are some key takeaways from this conversation with Catherine Blades. Number one, never waste a crisis. In the midst of the pandemic, Aflac took tremendous strides to keep their entire shareholder base as whole as possible. This included setting up a no-interest loan program for their sales force, most of which worked on commissions. Aflac also gave very generously to the tune of $11 million to charity, followed by a multitude of donations to minority-related causes, all of which added up to 50% of the company's total donations for the year. From a communication standpoint, crises enable companies to reveal who they really are, so don't let them go to waste. Number two, embrace your holistic view as a communications professional. Catherine made a pretty interesting observation on how communications pros are the only members of a company outside of a president or CEO who have to take the perspective of all shareholders into account. Customers, investors, employees, shareholders, All of these are perspectives you have to consider as a comms executive, which speaks to the larger responsibility of communications leadership in the holistic and macro view it requires. Number three, purpose and profit can go hand in hand. Catherine spoke about how Affleck's commitment to being a company dedicated to purpose beyond shareholder value was pushed back on by some investors. Catherine then went on to explain how being purposeful, in addition to being the right thing to do, is profitable because in this day and age, people want to purchase from companies that are contributing to the greater good of society. This echoes a larger truth about how giving back is no longer a nice to have for big brands, but is entirely table stakes for competing in today's economy. 
Anyway, thank you all for listening as always. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow Lippy Taylor on Instagram at L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more of us, visit LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.